Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Uh, my question was marked answered, but wasn't answered. My partner accepted Sorry. his sex, love, and porn addiction eight months ago and has been in very good recovery with a CSAT 12-step program, et cetera. I've seen huge changes for the better. Last week, he declared himself a liar and a cheater, but not an addict because of not relating to the guys in meetings who are having a hard time staying sober because he's read articles on the difference between just cheating and sex addiction and relates be- and he relates better to the definition of a cheater. Also, his CSAT and 12-step sponsor both oh. hired him last week. By the way, he thinks cheater is worse than addict. I know that cheating was just one of many acting out behaviors related to his addiction, and that makes him a cheater and an addict. The question is, what is the best way for me to communicate to him that I think he is delusional and has a severe case of, (laughs) I got this? Well, I think this relates to the question above, right? What are your boundaries? If this person that you love is not is has said they're no longer an addict has given up the addiction piece has decided they can go it on their own because they don't really have a problem in other words if they decided to justify their behavior um you know that may not be that may be a boundary that's not okay with you um how are you going to handle it what are you going to do for yourself and with them if they cross that boundary i have to say though i, I don't know about Tammy. i can read a little something into here which is i think i know what happened here which is he did something, I think it's a he, he did something that he was not supposed to do. He acted out, he you know, ran off the rails with some behavior or he got angry at a sponsor or whatever, and he got fired. He did something he shouldn't do. And his decision was not, I'm gonna be accountable and accept this and work on it and value these relationships, see what I can learn here. His decision was, well, I don't wanna deal with them, so I just don't have the problem. And I don't have to deal with these people or face them or be accountable to them if I don't have a problem. And so something happened here that may, and literally he is pushing away the truth. He is pushing away things he does not want to see, because if he did, he'd have to actually look at whatever it is that happened to get him fired. It's much easier to say, oh, I don't belong there and I have this terrible sponsor and this is awful. We call this externalizing the problem. I'm not the problem. It's my sponsor. It's my wife. It's my work. And while we're doing that, we never really have to look at ourselves. And by the way, we keep people running. Well, I say to my spouse, I wouldn't do this if you that we I gaslight my spouse. I wouldn't do this if you were this, that, and the other thing. And you'll take that in and think, oh my God, they're doing it because this, that, and the other thing. I guarantee you this person's sponsor and who is the other person? And um, therapist. Yeah. I don't think that they're idiots. I think that they got shoved against the wall and they were getting shoved against the wall and they just got out of the way. So something is going on that you don't know about that has led to all of this. And it doesn't matter on some level because your boundaries are the same. So what are my boundaries? What are my non-negotiable boundaries if this person says, I don't have a problem? What is my boundary if they say, I'm just cheating? What does that mean to you? You've been cheated on. Maybe it was 50 times, maybe it was five, but you've still been cheated on. That's not like an excuse. Well, I'm just a cheater or cheaters are worse. So I hear a lot of justifying, a lot of, a lot of addict thinking. This would be a good person to take into seeking integrity. This is somebody who could use a little bit of treatment, who is not responding. You know, uh, healing is a continuum. Like if I hurt my finger and I go to the doctor and they say, oh, well, that looks worse than you think. 
we think you need to go to this person, the specialist, and then we need to go to this person. And so in a way this, and it's like that for us, you, you go to the 12 step group, you read the books, maybe you take a course, then you go to see a therapist at a certain point, you need more help at a certain point, doing all those things has not helped. And now you're rejecting that to me, that's someone who needs to come visit us for a couple of weeks. But I would be, and I guess there's one more thing about this. I hear a lot about this other person, and I'm really concerned about you, meaning how are you dealing with this mess? What kind of support do you have? Are you getting help from people, from other men or women who are dealing with this? Do you have a CSAT or someone to support you? Because basically, basically, on another level, this person has smacked you across the face and they've left a bruise. And then six weeks later saying, oh, well, I don't think I smacked you. I think I just ran into you by accident. I don't really have an anger problem. And then you're gonna get hit again. So how can you protect yourself from the direction that this is going in? Because we both know this is not going in the right direction. Yeah, and I concur. It's, it's a, it, you, you can't tell somebody who's delusional that they're delusional. They won't listen. So right. it really is, what boundaries do you need to have for you? Okay, one more on the last week. So it's, it's a little fuzzy, but it, I just sent that one to you. How can someone not be codependent if they have no sense of self? I understand your position and I need to read more about codependency, but I just started to accept after many years that I am codependent because I am unable to balance my life with relationship. What would you call it if someone seems to have no sense of self? Should they wait to get into a relationship until they feel like they have a sense of self or just try to find a healthy attachment? So Tammy, I, I want to understand from your perspective, what do they mean by sense of self? And yeah, can you maybe frame think, the questions? Well, so to me, this is someone who loses themselves in another relationship. So so they are feeling codependent because all of their relation. It, so to me, it's, you know, we, we want to be interdependent, not completely dependent on another person and not completely independent. And so, but, but we don't, we, we can't go self-evolve all on our own. You know, this right. is a journey we need other people so they can help guide us along the, the, along the way. So to me, it would not be, I'm going to go self-actualize, you know, sit on top of a mountain and figure it out. I would be going, I need to practice these skills with other people. If I feel like I am completely losing all sense of self in a relationship, then healthy boundaries. What do I need to do, you know, to make sure that I'm taking care of me and not completely losing myself, but also not dominating someone else. So to me, it is absolutely, you, you need a posse of people to help you practice this stuff. And then if you are an addict and, and have identified that you have struggled with that, then how we learn to do that is in community and 12 step is a great place to practice, so. And I don't know if I saw therapist or support. I did here. not. I did not see that. No. But and it was by the way, if you folks, Tammy um, makes wonderful referrals. We've been doing this a long time, and so if you are looking for support, we don't get kickbacks. We just refer to people that we feel good about. Write Tammy T A M I at speakingintegrity.com, and she will help you find a book or a resource. Or, you know, I really appreciate that about you, Tammy. You give a lot of stuff away. And, uh, but I do want to answer the question, you know, I don't know what it means to have a sense of self in that way. I know what I like and what I don't like. I know when I feel good and I feel bad. 
Um, I know when I am comfortable and when I'm not. Um, to me, not losing yourself in a relationship has to do with having a life, not uh, not having a sense of self, but having a life. I have activities that I enjoy. I have friends I spend time with. If I didn't meet anyone at all, I would be enjoying my life. My life is defined. My life is defined by my friends, how I spend my time, my interests, um, my engage. What you know, what is fun for me, it's defined by my work. And so, I don't think you need to look very far about you know your sense of self. It's defined by how you're living your life. And if you're living your life around having a relationship or, or, you know, you give everything up about yourself when you're in the relationship, then I think you need to really sit down and practice. What does it mean for me to have a life? What is my life? Um, and how do I hold on to it? I might go to a 12. Uh, what's a good way of saying this? Tammy, I know people who they were really good friends until they started dating and they disappeared altogether. And I didn't talk to them for a year. You know, I think that's giving up yourself. You know, I don't expect that we're going to be as close when you're dating three days a week, but I do expect that we're going to maintain that I'm part of your life. I'm part of your sense of self. You know what? Little babies, just to say it, they don't know who they are. The way young, youngest among us learn who they are is by the, how other people respond to us. I may not know who I am, but if I'm hanging around people who I really enjoy, I'll probably feel good about myself. So part of what makes me who I am is who I spend my time with, what I do. So I don't think we're defined from the inside out. I think we're defined from the outside in. And if you hold on to those things on the outside, you will not get lost in a relationship. But it's when we say, well, I won't go to the gym anymore and we're spending time together. I'm going to give that. And I don't have time to call so-and-so because we're going to dinner and you will lose yourself because you lose the anchors of your life that are that are really in the day-to-day. You know, and and so yeah, Tammy, do you want? I see nodding, which is good. No, what I are you thinking? I, no, I I a hundred percent agree. And I was like, I love that you say the anchors of our life, and yet, you know, I see that in too many relationships where it's now I'm in a pair bond, and it's it's the right. two of us. And unfortunately, when something unravels, like with sex addiction and betrayal trauma, it's just the two of you. You you don't have the support, and and you can't yet count on each other or find the support in each other so so i love i'm i'm writing that one down too i wrote down the other one anchors in our life um okay so we I, I are do going want to, to say one more quick thing about that the question about can i have a relationship if i don't have a sense of self well i think people you know if you're waiting for a certain psychological state of being to have a relationship you'll never have one because we always have another reason why you know um uh, those of us, some of us avoid in relationships. Some mm -hmm. of us long for intimacy, but it's also scary. And I can come up with a million reasons why I am not ready to be in a relationship. There's things wrong with me. I need to gain this ground until I'm ready. I agree with Tammy. I think that's one of the problems with codependency is it basically says until you do this amount of self-exploration, self-examination, I'm not sure whether it's half a cup or a full cup or two cups. But when you get to that point, then you'll date the right people. Then you'll know how to do it. And I would say differently. I would say when you have anchors, thank you, Tammy, when your life is anchored in people you trust, activities you enjoy, uh, you know, if your self is defined out here, then you don't need to worry about who you meet or how you, because you will see if it's pulling away parts of your life, that's not the right relationship. So I, I don't know how filled up the cup has to be before you start dating, but I do know on the outside, you need to have a life that's working for you. And then let me say one more thing about that. The more solid my life is grounded in my enjoyment and my friendships, the less likely it is that I'm going to give it all up and lose myself in someone. 
And if I find myself losing myself in someone, they're probably not the right person because someone who loves me would encourage me to no, you spend that time with friends and I want you to continue, you know, going to singing groups and they're going to, or maybe even join me. Let's do that hobby together. They're not going to pull me away. They're going to push me toward, um, they're a foundation and a rock, but they're not the focus of my life. My focus of my life is all of those things. Thanks, Ken. Yay. I love that. Okay. So now we're going to move to, I just put one and answered and we're, we're going to stay on. I hope Dr. Rob can say a couple extra minutes so we can get through more of these. And the, oh my gosh. one of these days we have to catch up. Okay. My sister recently opened up to me about a trauma she had been keeping secret. And I feel so guilty because she says she can trust me and thank you for being someone I can trust a hundred percent. You have to, even though we have a lot to do, you have to go a little slower. Sorry. Okay. So, so the sister reached out because she feels like she can trust me a hundred percent. I feel like a fake. My partner's essay has weaseled its fingers into every aspect of our lives one way or another. My day-to-day life revolves around recovery work, managing emotions and triggers, trying not to be a detective, et cetera. But I'm not ready to tell most people about all of this, including my sister. How do I show up authentically for the people in my life while hiding such a huge part of myself? Well, there's a lot of questions in there, but I think I can speak to the last one, which is authentically means I don't pretend that I'm okay. I don't say, you know, authentic also doesn't mean I'm going to tell you about every problem in my life in detail. I, I kind of think of it like, like circles. There, there's a, 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 a center circle where there are certain people that I trust implicitly, I will tell them all about myself and everything that's going on. Then the next circle, I might say things like, you know, I'm really struggling with some emotional issues. I've been going to therapy. I'm really working on myself. I don't really want to talk about it, but I've been very sad and troubled lately. So I'm authentic, but I'm not necessarily being in detail because I think I could say to my sister, you know, I've just, I I thank you for telling me about your trauma and thank you for telling about my, your secret. And I so hope to be supportive of you and I really care and love you. You know, and I have issues too. So, you know, I, I think when we open up and we acknowledge that we have stuff, it may, that's vulnerability. It makes, it will make your sister feel better that she's not alone in talking about her problems, but you don't have to talk about the details. There are some people who need to know everything. You cannot be alone with, with the work, with stuffs that we deal with. But there's another circle where, like I said, where that, you know, I've been having some problems, I'm really struggling, I don't know. And then there's the the bigger circle, which is like people I work with, it's like, you know, I've been a little distracted lately, or, you know, I probably need some time off, or you're right, you know, I've been focused a lot on my partner. They need to know that things are a little off um, because you want to validate people's reality. That's being authentic because you're telling them the truth, but you don't need to tell everyone everything. And by the way, I agree with the sister part. I I really worry about when we tell, it's not that we shouldn't tell family members, but just remember that if you're in a relationship with someone and then you're going to end up at the Thanksgiving table with them and your sister or your dad or your brother-in-law, they're always going to remember. You can't unsay things. So yeah, again, I think where is the circle of people where I feel safe and I know it's not going to come back to me. And again, I think this circle of friends is what Tammy's talking about, which is um, involving yourself in recovery. But Tammy, my partner's essay has we- weaseled its, its fingers into every... Can you tell me quite a little bit about how that fits in or maybe we should just well i think it's just i I think it's just because that's such a focus of my life and i'm not telling my sister about any of it so i feel like a fake because you know my sister's sharing this trauma with me and i'm right that's what i thought so i think you've answered it really well so great let's move on okay 
So the next one, how do I let go, go of old PTSD? Do you think 12 steps is enough? I have tried EMDR and cognitive therapy, and they seem to just re-traumatize and make my sex addiction worse. So this is the addict. Can just work the steps over and over and look forward without re-traumatizing myself by going back over and over things and talking other therapies. So, well, you know, I don't know you, and so I can't speak specifically. First of all, PTSD on some old trauma never goes away. It's not like you're going to do EMDR, you're going to have some kind of pill and or even years of therapy, and you're going to get over the trauma. It's going to go away. We learn to live with it. We learn to adapt to it. We learn when there are signs of it and how to take care of ourselves. We learn um, how to turn down the volume on it so we know it's there, but it doesn't take up all of our attention. So I don't think there's ever letting go completely of that. I do believe that you are you should absolutely listen to what's happening, which is these therapies are not helping me. I get it. They're not. Don't go back. Um, I am really a big fan in getting the sex addiction piece down and really clarifying. So if I were going to see a therapist, I, I would acknowledge I have lots of trauma and that that underlies um, a lot of my behaviors. And the good thing about acknowledging the trauma is it reduces some of the shame. I'm not a bad person. I'm not a terrible. I don't hate myself. I just have a lot of problems. But I think until you've really stabilized the addiction, built relationships around recovery, you know, I don't hear much about how long they've been sober or how long they've been working on well, this. Well, it feels or, like this may, and we've talked about this before, people want to go work on the trauma and then they just keep right. getting triggered and acting out. And right. this kind of feels like that because it makes my sex addiction worse. So to me, that feels like, and then I'm acting out more. So, so the answer is maybe you're not ready to work on the trauma. You know. Um, Part of working on trauma creates instability inside of ourselves. And that's just, you know, you're looking at difficult things and that makes you feel unstable. If you're not stable, you know, if you're not stable enough to get through the day to day without serious, meaningful support and sobriety and consistency, then you're certainly not ready to unpeel all of that and unpack all of that because many of the people I work with will act out if they drop a pencil. So the idea of really getting into meaningful therapy about the trauma and they get triggered acting out, tells me that maybe their recovery is not stable enough. I also honestly, as a therapist, think about medication. You know, it may be that there isn't enough internal stability that you can't either act out or look at trauma. And I'll say one more thing about that, Tammy, that we've talked about this, that one of the indicators to me of someone who needs to be in treatment at a treatment center, and I really mean this, um, is if they try to work on the trauma, they end up acting out. They can't work on the trauma because the, the addiction is so close. They stop acting out and then they get overwhelmed by the trauma. And some people need to be in a place where they're safe enough to work on both. Um, and that has been my experience a lot, that people will come to treatment because they can't stop acting out because looking at the underlying issues, they're just not stable enough. So um, yeah, I think stabilizing recovery, perhaps going to a doc, looking at meds, considering whether you need to work on the trauma piece in a safer environment. There are lots of ways to look at this, but don't push yourself. If you're not doing well in a particular area, don't say, well, I got to get through that therapy. I got to find the right one that works for trauma. Put it down and say, I need to work on other parts of myself. Trauma work doesn't work unless you're stable inside already. Um, and then it's a little teeny piece at a time. And yes. Tammy and I both, this is when we talk about re referring to the right therapist. Uh, there are a lot of therapists who think, well, when you deal with your trauma, you look at your trauma, then you're not going to act out or it's not going to be as bad. Or 
I think it's the other way. I think you have to stabilize your life on every level and then go deeper into the what's going on inside of you because you will have that foundation of friendships, support, family, sobriety, and all the things that make it easier to begin to look at the past. Okay, that was great. Next one, I'm having trouble healing because my husband, S.A., has not shown true empathy. He's seven months over. He says all the right things, which he is getting from Help Her Heal Workbook. He's going through independently, but there's no real empathy. How, how do I get unstuck? Well, seven months is very early. Um, this is someone who's just begun their journey. And I understand from every spouse, something like, after the way you've treated me, don't I deserve your respect, your empathy? Well, now you're in recovery. Isn't, aren't I a part of that? Aren't I the way you treat me and the way you, isn't, how can you be in recovery if you still speak to me that way and all that stuff? In other words, if you're in recovery, why are you still a jerk? <laughs> and, you know, my response is, is that with a lot of support and help and direction, you can stop acting out and you can get sober. But being a better person, that takes time. And I don't think that, addicts intentionally want to let us down or be unempathic. We simply don't know how. I do worry about someone who's reading a workbook and not taking a course. I think being involved with someone who's doing training, this is why we teach out of the doghouse, um, because lots of people ask questions. And I, I worry about anyone who's doing a workbook independently, because they need feedback. They need to look at their homework with other people. They need to ask questions. You know, And I think that trying to that's why we did it out of the doghouse course is because as much people like reading the book it didn't really help them in the details of how to do the work um i don't think i understood what empathy was in the beginning and i think a lot of it too and i don't know if this makes sense to you guys is that i didn't have any empathy for myself i had no compassion for what i put myself through i didn't understand how i'd grown up i didn't understand as a family member of mine said, you never had a chance. You were never going to be healthy. And rather than hating myself for my addiction, I had to come a real peace with how broken I was. And as the empathy for myself started to show up, then I could have more empathy for you. And yeah, you know, it's okay to imitate empathy. If someone says the right thing and they do the right thing, I don't really care why. I just want them to do and say the right thing. But um, innate empathy is not something we're good at. It's something that takes time and practice. And by the same with narcissism, oh my God, he's still so narcissistic. Narcissism is a lifelong challenge. Tommy knows I often say and do things are very narcissistic and I've worked on it for a long time. Um, don't nod quite. No, so much, you've worked on it quite a long time. <laughs> no, I was like, yes, he is. No, I um, was like, you've worked on it. You have. So. But the, the point of it is that I will always be unempathic. That's just how I'm built. But when I realize that when I see it, when I immediately want to go in and say, I, make a 10th step, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I did that. I will do things that are unempathic. I will let people down and probably more than other people because I'm kind of broken. But the key is, can I learn? about when that's happening, can I learn how to do it differently? Um, and seven months is is very early. I think remorse, I feel shitty about what I did. I wish I'd done it differently. That is achievable fairly early. But an understanding of how you have been affected, that can take a long time. And by the way, that's one of the first things we do in treatment is we read a letter from the partner that says, this is what I've been through. And then the guys we work with say, oh my gosh, why haven't I done that? I've heard that so many times. And my answer is, why weren't you listening? Um, so empathy is, is, a, is a process. It doesn't just happen. Sobriety is the first step toward empathy. Um, Tammy, I have an empathic request of you. 
Yes. I think if we carry over the questions from the week before, we are never going to get the question answered from the people who actually show up this week. And so maybe we should renegotiate that because I feel badly I for know. those folks who are here. Yes. yes, I agree. So, so, but so hang on, I want to touch on this thing. Can we answer one more? Because it's of course. Okay. All right. So I I want to go to the how do I get unstuck? You're not stuck. You're in the process. You're not stuck. You're moving through it, but you're still really early in the process. Um, you know, Dr. Rob has talked before, you know, that, that when you have discovery, you're at day zero. Your addict has known all along that they were acting out and doing all of this. So they're, it's different. It's a, and, you know, if they're doing, if they're really doing active recovery work, and I agree with what Dr. Rob said about, like, I don't hear a lot of other stuff, but um, so understand that your process of seeing his actions having him work on rebuilding trust that take, you know, that can take you 18 months or more. So, so I don't think you're stuck. I think you are doing what you need you're to do. Process. You're here. Yeah. In process is a much better way of it. So give yourself some grace from that standpoint. And okay. I do want to respect that partners, you know, you've put up with so much stuff that when you finally found out and you see us working on it, now it's like, well, what about me? When is it my turn after you've looked out for yourself for so long? And and that is a very reasonable uh, request. It's just that we may not be able to do it yet or no understand what that means. So, oh, okay. The next one, and it'll be the last tonight. I'm going to quick okay. scan them It's now. okay. My dog will I, wait for dinner. It's fine. I'll there tell you him go. Tammy made me, me too. wait. You can do that. Dozer will forgive me. I've been sober from sexual addict- addiction acting out with prostitutes for over a year. I'm using harm reduction by allowing porn, but whenever I use it, I feel like a fake claiming my sobriety, though my 12-step program allows me to define my sobriety. I want to start moving away from porn, which I've been using for 30 years. How do I wean myself off of porn? There is no weaning yourself off of porn. You stop and you get the support for stopping. And I think harm reduction is a lie to yourself. It's more like, well, how can I give myself permission to keep doing this and not make it bad? Part of the thing that we look in treatment, I think this is often happens, is people say, oh, well, that's the problem. It's cheating on my wife, or that's the problem. It's you know, calling ex-boyfriends or whatever it is. And they don't see that the whole thing is a problem. Dating, relationships, affairs, sex workers, porn. You can't say, well, seeing prostitutes was the problem, but porn wasn't. It's all the problem. It's about your sexual life and how you lead your sexual life. So what you've done is split hairs. To me, what you said is, um, tell me like this. I, I used to drink whiskey and that was really a problem. So I just drink wine now because it's not nearly as high in alcohol content, but you're still drinking. And so, and your inside is telling you, I want to move away from this. The question is, what are you doing? No 12-step program, by the way, none of them, and I've spent 30 years in programs, says you can define your own sobriety. They say you can define your own sobriety with another person. You sit down with a sponsor, you sit down with a therapist or your clergy person, and you say, what do you think about these behaviors, and are they okay and not okay? And then you talk about it and explain them, and then together you decide what is healthy for you. And I think less in the beginning is probably better than more at the beginning. In other words, don't give yourself so much permission to do whatever you feel like doing. You've already learned that mistake. Hey, you've learned the mistake. Porn doesn't work and you thought it did. Now you need to sit sit down with someone. I wonder what other behaviors you've made okay with yourself that are not okay for you. And I do want to say the last thing, um, which is 
if you're not an alcoholic, you can drink as much as you want. You can, you know, get drunk once in a while. I, none of my business. If you are not a sex addict, you can look at porn. You can go to strip clubs on a bachelor party. You can do whatever you want. But if you are a sex addict, there are limitations around your behavior that other people don't have. And especially at the beginning, it's much more important for us to do to really put a tight um, boundary on what we can and can't do. Um, and I don't think doing it by yourself is such a great idea. By the way, I can always find someone in a 12-step program, always, to agree with my point of view. I can always find someone, well, I don't understand, and porn isn't a problem, and you'll find five people who will agree with you. But it's looking for people who will tell you the hard truth that you don't want to hear. Those are the ones that I want to be around. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.